Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. He's back. Hello, father with dad strength. How are you? It hasn't really come to be yet, but I really haven't lifted anything large at all. So I'm not sure if I'm, I still have to see if that's a thing. I'm sorry. I don't, I hope you have not been at the point yet where you've seen your baby in peril yet either. I think it activates once that happens, then you have it for the rest of your life. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Okay. Well, let's hope I'm never strong then. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. But like, if you see like a, I'm trying to think of something that like wouldn't matter anyway, if it it got in the way, like a large tiger coming at my son or something. (laughs) No, that's extremely horrible. No, like a, like a plushy toy or something headed its direction. And you just like swat it out of the way that would like trigger it. Right. Cause like something okay. was coming to inflict harm, but it was just a plushie toy. And it wouldn't matter. I don't know. We'll see though. It, it'll come one day. I think regardless of if the peril comes or not, I don't think my uh, hypothesis is all that uh, thought out and uh, experimented on anyway. Uh, so how was, how was your two weeks, man? I, I, I said this at, before we recorded, we should talk a couple of minutes and about how little uh, Twitter and sports that you followed. What were you keeping up on? Well, uh, I don't know if it's out there, but I walked into the office and I think, you know, this because you were working. Yeah. Uh, I, I told the story. Yeah. Yeah. Monday on the Cardinals Rams game and literally walked out like three minutes after I turned on my computer, um, headed to the hospital, but basically based on our work chat, I did not turn on that game. And then I didn't really start watching things again till like, maybe four days ago. So I caught the last few Suns games mostly. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice to kind of turn things off. Like I definitely didn't not go on Twitter, but as far as work and like watching all the sports, I wasn't great at it, which is fine. I think this is a good time to have that excuse. How much did you digest of the Cardinals loss yet? Did you read oh. a lot of stuff? Did you watch the game actually? What'd you do? Oh, nothing. Oh, I got I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was just like, no, there's no reason to turn on this game. And then uh, I think I read quotes. I read some of our stories, but not very much of the follow up like after that night. So, yeah, it's as bad as people are talking about it to be. (laughs) It definitely was worse than what we would have expected coming in. Like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, my gosh, just I think what I specifically told our old friend Craig Riolu who works with the Cardinals now when he was in for like pre and post game, I was like, as long as they don't embarrass themselves, I'm fine. Cause I don't think they're going to win this game. And then what do they do, Kevin? They embarrass themselves and I'm not fine with it at all. I, I told some of the people in the office cause I went in today for the first time. And I was like, like, if you believe in like football gods or sports gods or whatever, like, I apparently have paid my dues because the football gods or sports gods or whatever were definitely like, Hey man, you should go to the hospital and not watch this game at all. (laughs) Not have to live through the news cycle of it at all. Like the pre you had to do the pre cycle, which was probably the best part of it, but the, the during cycle and then the post cycle, like nothing. 
you had no. to take in zero percent, which is excellent. I loved you just tweeting the other night, like, "Oh, uh, Jeff Garcia, huh?" Like, just <laughs> <laughs> no one. You, if you spend six hours off of Twitter, let alone sort of two weeks, like you're just going to be lost. And you're seeing Mina tweet gifts when Jimmy Garoppolo does something stupid for the three hundred and seventy fifth time this season. I and mean, you're just like, oh man. Yeah, it was pretty much that was the only thing. And then I walked into work today, and it's like the sun still haven't lost. Um, baseball's still not happening. So I think I'm caught up now. You are caught up indeed. And, and so I know I, you haven't fully watched and you are, de- you definitely should not like go back and watch like all the Suns games that you missed, but basically to give you your own recap of what has happened and what I talked about with Max and David last week, I asked Max the question of you saw the last two games and how they were relying on Chris and Devin a lot, right? Yeah. That has been the story now during this win streak, basically. And it has gotten to the point with the injuries and the play of the second unit, like those two things combined together, that Chris McKell and Devin over the last six games are now aver- are averaging over 38 minutes a night over the last six games, which is where it gets close enough to me where I'm like, okay, that's enough. But I mean, Landry Shamit just twisted his ankle yesterday. So those guys are going to have to play extended minutes some more. Um, I, I wonder who is available. I'm really interested if Jay Crowder and DeAndre are both back on Tuesday, how much that changes the minutes on those three guys specifically. I think Jay gives a little bit of breathing room to Mikel, but I'm not sure how much, if any, it gives to um, Devin and Chris, unless Mikel just keeps playing insane minutes because he's probably like the guy that's more equipped to do that of the three. Um, but at the same time, Kevin, he's a guy that Monty talks about a lot when like I remember the game in Portland when he got benched, um, not benched, but just uh, Monty went with another option. And he was like, yeah, well, Mikel was guarding Dame for 25 minutes. That's basically like a 40 minute game for anyone else. So I do wonder what can change for them in the next couple of games that can change that reliance. But just me telling you that, Kevin, and you saw a little bit over it in the last two games. I don't want to ask you, is it a concern, but what do you take away from it? Because to me, it's just another way that they've been able to win. And I'm not reading much else into it, but we are another week or two away of them doing this where I'm like, "Uh, is the offense going to be okay? Yeah, I I think the minutes is the bigger deal than like how they're using them, I guess, because I I expect they're going to use them a lot in the postseason and all that. And I think they'll be fine, but... Um, it goes back to when they signed Biombo, and that raised a thing in my head that I was like, well, their guard now, guard rotation now doesn't look super great. Like, Alfred still hasn't really found how to fit in on this team. Um, obviously, the other two guys are hurt right now and weren't playing the greatest either. And just like box score, I did look at them. And, like, Shamit's shooting and bad games um, have gotten even worse when really, like, this should be the kind of period where Monty is trying to do everything he can to, okay, get him to give you minutes even if you're struggling, find you a rhythm, find you confidence and all that kind of thing. And it just wasn't happening, and then he hurt himself. So, yeah, I, I think that's the biggest concern is just figuring out that rotation and, like, how many guys do you actually trust? Because the the starter minutes are who you trust, obviously. And um, just this year compared to last, I think it's it's really 
and I wouldn't say night and day, but it's it's not as good as last year in the backcourt, at least. Yeah, and it, I always find it funny when we start a conversation on a topic like this when the team is really good and we're talking about it not a hundred percent glowingly. I feel like I'm I'm tweeting in a way because I feel like I'm I'm leaving myself open to responses that think that we're being negative when in fact all I'm stating is what I'm stating. And if I had to put my concern meter out of 10 with what I just talked about, it would be at a one. But but all I'm saying is that this is not the way this offense normally operates in terms of how much they rely on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, specifically throughout the flow of a game, I should say. It should not feel like in the was it last night, Kevin, against the Spurs where Chris went crazy for the first like four minutes of the second quarter just because they needed something somewhere. Yeah, I, I think that was that game. It was either that game or the Minnesota game. But then the Minnesota game, Kevin, they hit 23s. They have 36 assists. Shamit has his best game of the year with 17 points. He was rough last night before he came out of the game. Uh, Jalen Smith had 10 points. Every starter had at least five field goals. That included Cam Johnson with 23, Mikel Bridges with 18. So uh, Cam and Mikel, I think at least, have had better games statistically in the last two games specifically. I know Cam has been just great overall this season. Mikel has been more up and down with at least his scoring production. But I don't think that those numbers for those two guys over these two games, the Minnesota win and the San Antonio win, reflect – how much they've still relied on those guys. I, I think Mikel stepped up a lot. I believe in the fourth quarter of that game, the, no, no, sorry, it was Cam Johnson in the fourth quarter of the Minnesota game, and then Mikel scored 17 of his 26 in the Spurs game in the second half, um, which is where they really got cooking specifically with the small ball stuff and using him as a screener, which Monty talked about and I, I wrote about in my piece off the game. I'm not I'm not even concerned, Kevin. It's just a notable change in, in their in their play the last month. And they're still winning doing it, which I I don't think it's like surprising or crazy or noteworthy at all that they're winning while doing it because they are relying on their two best players to be really, really good. And both of them have put up crazy months. And I, I know Suns fans will be irate if one of them does not win player of the month, but Nikola Jokic has been going insane. A lot of other guys have been going insane. A um, lot of talent in the league, but it is, it is kind of this gear that they've hit Kevin, those two guys specifically where they are hitting that gear while the rest of the team isn't. Is, is that the main thing I'm, I think I'm getting at Kevin that specifically? Yeah. And I, I don't know about Chris. Um, I don't feel like I, I, obviously I haven't watched all the games lately, but I don't feel like his games, even though like he's putting up crazy stats right now, I don't feel like his offensive game is where he's like taking on a heavier load even. Um, So I think he's just being really efficient. Like the assist numbers are just coming organically. So I think that's good. And a lot of it is like with the center guys and just feeding Bobiambo and stuff like that. Um, Book on the other hand, like I, you always talk about his late season surges and, it just started post Raptor involvement. Um, so that's kind of separate for like, he's obviously pissed off at a lot of things, which is fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I, I wouldn't call that concerning in that way again. Cause I think the, the postseason they were, that was the identity of this team a lot more than like the well-rounded team. But then again, like when you do have a Chris Paul injury, if that happens again, like, do you trust 
these bench guys to suddenly snap into it. I think that's where my concern is. And that is related to if they get worn down doing this, I guess. So I'm not really concerned about the how, but I think it's more of like how the, how the how can impact them in the future and not trusting other guys and burning them out, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, Chris's career took a turn once he hit 30. Uh, his minutes per game were 32.7 in his 30-year-old season. And then after that, 31.5, 31.8, 32.5, 31.4. And then this year is 32.9, which would be his highest since that 30-year-old season. So six seasons ago. Um, I, I don't think the number is in a concerning area, but it's just one of those things where a 36-year-old has, hasn't missed a game yet and he's playing um, – his highest minutes in six years can be something that's uh, startling to hear. Uh, but I think it's just like the, the biggest development on the team in the last couple of weeks outside of the fact that, Hey, they're still the best team in basketball right now. And they're 40 and nine and they've won 10 games in a row. Uh, the other thing, Kevin, that kind of came along and, and we're going to hit on those backcourt options. Cause I want to get your opinions on the trade deadline discussions that, uh, I had with Sam and Mike and then Max and David, we have a three-part feature going up on the site this week. I believe part one should be up by the time you hear this on ball handlers featuring a lot on Eric Gordon. Uh, and then we'll have more going on and we'll go through those players here in a bit. But first um, we're going to be talking about small ball fives in a bit, Kevin. And for the first time this year, we saw the Suns actually like turn to small ball for a significant portion of a game uh, Monty has done it at times for about 90 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe four minutes here and there, but they were down 12 to a Spurs team that just kept getting them off the dribble over and over again. Monty, uh, Chris Paul and assistant coach Kevin Young were both kind of telling Monty, like, I think we need to go small. And Monty was like, yep, well, we're just getting killed off the dribble. Let's do it. They put Ish at the five because again, they only had 10 available guys last night and they're kind of out of options there. And I think we've seen for Jay, I think like that's asking a little bit too out of, out too much out of Jay for him to play those minutes, which is why we saw Tory Craig mainly playing them. And Tory has the experience cam and Mikel not really there with the experience to kind of do that small ball five kind of thing yet Ish Wainwright's played that overseas a bunch. So he was comfortable. He came in and a 27 year old look, just looked rookie just looked completely in place. Like he's been in the system for the years. And then the Suns Kevin looked like a team that has been playing small ball for years, which was uh, bizarre and, and crazy to see on a, for a multitude of reasons, but what did you take away from seeing our first like real look at the Suns going small this year? I think with Ish, um, he looked more comfortable there than he did like when they would stick him at small forward or even power forward to me. Um, but I think in general, just how like obviously the defense is going to be looking good with guys who know and that part didn't surprise me even with Wainwright like he was a step slow once and then he blocks the shot because he's that athletic um but I think for me the more interesting part was just how well um Ish and Cam Johnson kind of worked at new positions as role play as role men um going to the basket um making the right pass if someone was in their way going to the basket and just making the right decisions. And then obviously like the floor spacing you expect out of that. But I, I just was impressed by how many shots at the rim that that group got, I think. And that's a positive sign just that caught the Spurs off guard. And I think, you know, even if you get an experienced team who um, watches film on them, then they'll at least still be competent 
able to move the ball, making the right reads with those two guys touching the ball. So I think that was more of the surprise for me. Yeah, uh, it's funny you brought up attempts at the rim because I just went and looked at that, and it looks like of the field goals that they got in that half, I think it looks like six of them came at the rim, uh, and then six of them did not. So half of their field goals in that game were in were at the rim, and they shot, it looks like six of nine uh, inside the key uh, in the fourth quarter of that game. To me, Kevin, I think that, the thing that intrigued me the most, and this is definitely me aware of like, there's like gnats flying around my head. And that is like small sample size itis where I'm just like, so wired in, like I got bug eyes about this small sample size that like just intrigued me to no end. And I'm aware of like the kooky look I'm, I'm presenting Kevin. You, you get what I'm saying here. I look a bit loco. Um, just how great Mikel looked in the, in this in the small ball five look, particularly when they were using him as a screener a lot, and just how much more comfortable he looked attacking space when there wasn't a uh, center in in the middle of the floor. And yeah. I'm not saying that the Suns need to trade DeAndre Aiden and completely reshape their team now to unlock Mikel Bridges, but it's just a very small example, but notable example of how going small like this can help other players offensively besides just uh, playing defense better when teams are doing this specific thing or when another team is going small and matching them or looking for a change in the game because everything is stagnant. It's like, no, like this can help other players play better because they just have more room to operate. And then Cam Johnson as well, Kevin was comfortable attacking with more space down there as well, because it just really turns into the guy in front of me and then where the help comes from. And the help is not going to come from directly in the middle of the floor where the rim protector is. It's going to come from this corner or that corner or that wing or that wing. And like they do that in their sleep. And they've been doing that in their sleep under Monty for two and a half years now. So I think the question now becomes with that specifically and looking ahead towards the trade deadline is like if you should really consider a small ball five being even more of a priority for them than we would have thought. And again, the Nats, Kevin, they're around my head. I realize this is after just one game, but it really did. It really was like just having it right in front of me, seeing it and seeing Mikel play the way that he did offensively, seeing Chris, like just not making it a big deal that a six foot, six foot one point guard is, is in this switch heavy scheme, all switching scheme, you know, Um, and how, just how much those guys are open to battling uh, and communicating defensively when they switch everything it made me like a lot more um open to the idea than i was before and not that i wasn't but maybe just more interested interested and intrigued kevin i am by this yeah i mean you say it's a small sample size but at least on offense um they had a five outlook with Frank or Dario really Um, not all the time, but a lot more than obviously with the backup bigs backup centers they have now. So I think maybe that's just a sign that that was a great change of pace thing when DA was off the court. And that might, like you said, unlock a guy like Mikhail or like Shamit who like we've been critical of working off the bounce. If he doesn't have a shot Um, that's, that type of guy can benefit from having more of an open like lane too. So I don't know. I, I think it's definitely one of those games. Um, and I know Monty said it too, like 
you learn something and maybe that changes their thinking about how to approach the trade deadline or the roster um, after the trade deadline, if they're buyout guys and just kind of how to make sure all your bases are covered, I guess, to make your team, you know, have options when the playoffs hit. Yeah. And, and that's where we bring up the Tory Craig move so much just because it, it unlocked that extra element of their team that they could turn to when they needed to. And just having that extra option seemed to benefit them a lot. When we saw them before they had Tory Craig kind of looking to small ball here and there with Jay, it didn't look as right. And I think that the thing that I've learned at least uh, watching basketball in the last couple of years is that this small ball five role just isn't a physical thing, Kevin. Like you can look at someone like Jay or someone like Cam Johnson and say like, yeah, he, he's got like the physical, like he's got the strength to be like a small ball five, quote unquote. But someone like PJ Tucker is smaller than Cam Johnson, but you, there's like just a certain level of know-how with like the screening game and the defensive part of it that you need to have. Uh, and I'm not saying that the younger players on the Suns won't have that in time, but it just seems like experience plays a large, large part in it as well. And like someone like Ish getting to play it overseas for a while seems like he just figured out the nuances of it that you really need to be in that role and play it a little bit uh, to figure it out. Do you want to go through the trade deadline here, Kevin, before we go? Yeah, let's do it. So we're, we're podcasting on Monday. Uh, it's only a couple of days since me, uh, David, and Max went, but that's just because our schedules probably won't line up the rest of the week unless something happens. So this might be the last time we podcast until the trade deadline, and we've hit on it so much. I don't think we need like one big tell-all trade deadline podcast. And like I said, we've had these three preview pieces up. I've given my opinion quite a bit here on these, so I'm going to hand it off to Kevin. But in terms of what we've got, the breakdown here – of what we've got going on the site. Uh, We've got those three position groupings I talked about, which is ball handlers. uh, And then we've got the wings who scale down. So those are guys who go three, two, one, basically. So you're talking about quicker wings who can defend ball handlers. And then you've got the wings who scale up, which are your small ball fives. Those are your Robert Covington's, for example, and, and any names like that. So we broke down three different groups where we think the Suns could use someone. Uh, for sure. And, and I think that it is, it is kind of, I don't want to say obvious, but I think that we've seen, especially over the last four to six weeks, how much this team could still has room to grow. And I think it's just very small and meticulous, Kevin, until we get to the postseason. Do you think that's the right way to phrase it? Cause I think that these moves, like it, it, except if it's a big upgrade in the reserve backcourt, I don't think they're going to be seen as anything more than like kind of lateral right now. But once the postseason comes and specific matchups present themselves, I think that's where you could really be like, oh, yeah, we need Kenrich Williams because they have so and so out there. They have Steph out there with the starters and we need to like toss a like a reserve wing on him for a couple of minutes while Mikel gets rest or whatever. I think that's the right way to view it. Kevin, does anyone jump out to you? Any specific? Let's start with the, just the three groups I talked about. Does one jump out to you that they need the most? I think the answer is kind of obvious. Yeah, I, I just think ball handler. We're um, all about the dribble, guys, Kevin. We just uh, can't stop talking about how you need men who can dribble. It's been, it's been like three years, but like Eric, <laughs> Eric Gordon makes a lot of sense, and you're going to lay that out real well. I don't like they would have to get in on a three way trade and get some weird situation happening for the Rockets to like want to make a trade where he lands with the Suns. Um, but like, that's a good example of, I think also like 
of these three groups, this one has the most reasonable candidates. Like you have Spencer Dinwiddie too, who's on a team that's kind of struggling right now. He's playing not up to what he was supposed to be. Um, that's that's a thing you missed, Kevin. Sorry to interrupt you. Did you hear about the Wizards meltdown against the Clippers? Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, like thirty-five point yeah. meltdown or something, and then the Wizards, that, yeah. the, the Wizards post game guy was on the post game show and was just like, "This is rock bottom." I think is it not? This has <laughs> to be the worst to get. And we're like, "Oh my god, Wizards post game man, are you okay?" Yeah. No, so but like they're struggling. Yeah, like that's a name where like the talent makes you better if you're the Suns. Again, I don't know how they would get that deal done. Um, even like. Dennis Schroeder, I I know he has his flaws, but if if the Suns are like we're going for this now, and campaign hasn't showed us enough to be trusted, which would be a really weird thing for this like front office and team to do. But if they thought that, then that would be kind of like a, okay, you might be the campaign now instead of campaign. So I don't know. There's there's a couple of interesting names in there, and I think those guys are more high upgrade types that are reasonable-ish than some of the other positions where it's like, yeah, just if you want a Tory Craig, you could trade for Tory Craig, I guess. You very well could, friend, and we could see it. Uh, we, we will have to wait to find out, of course. Um, with, with what you're saying in mind and a guy like Schroeder, I think Schroeder is the perfect example of, I don't know if he's the type, I don't think he should be the type of guy who comes in here and gets Payne's job from the start. I think that he's your Peyton replacement. And as a Peyton replacement, he gets in there when you need a little bit of that scoring pizzazz. And that's where I argue if you have too many guys, I think that there is a very underrated element to team building where like the Celtics put all that crap together with Gordon Haywood. Do you remember that team with Kyrie and stuff? And it's like, Oh my God, look at this team. It's going to win 65 games. And it's like, you just have too many guys, man. Like you guys screwed it up. You just put one too many in there. You should have just had three of them, not four and five and Al Horford's there and all this stuff. So I think that there's a very delicate balance of that. And that's where shooter could throw it off, throw it off. But Kevin, what I want to share with you is is the Bismack Biombo audio that you might have heard. This was like your first week out, but he came on our show. He came on Burns and Gambo and was great. And he talked about just what he cares about. And this is what he had to say in terms of like what he looks for on the team and all that kind of stuff. I just care about winning, man. Nobody is going to care if you played 30 minutes and the team loses. And I've been on teams like that. And then he went on to kind of say, as long as the coach knows what he has in me, and like knows the role that I can play on the team and we're winning. Like, I, I don't care. Like, I just want to win a championship. So if other guys can come in with that type of mindset, like Schroeder can, for example, and realize, Hey dude, Monty and James Jones completely understand what you do well as a basketball player, but it just might not be on the court some nights and you're going to be used in a very specific way. I think that's where the Suns can maximize the value of these certain guys compared to other teams. And, and that's why I look at someone like Nick Batum, for example, on small ball fives, Kevin O'Connor wrote a big deal on the ringer the other day, I think today um, about how the Clippers are like, we don't know buyers or sellers. They could go either direction, but if they sell, did you know Batum's only making $3 million this year, Kevin? No. On a baby deal, tiny deal. 
Yeah. So, so he's only, he's making basically no money and he, that can just be like a Jalen Smith picks thing. Like I'm, or some, a smaller salary, like Peyton or something like that. That can just be like a, a draft pick deal, basically a very cheap $3 million player option for the next year as well. And Batum is a guy to me who really stands out as a, okay, like we, you're going to be like the fourth wing on this team basically. And you're going to play 10 minutes, some nights or zero, maybe. But then there are also going to be some nights as well where you play 20 to 25 and like we need you to guard Giannis in the finals for a couple of minutes. And and that to me is the type of guy I look at, especially, and I'll mention this in the piece, Monty coached him in uh, in, in Portland, Kevin, when, when Nick Batum was a wee young lad coming out of France. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Batum called Monty in like one tweet that I saw, I believe. Yeah, it was a tweet uh, where he referred to Monty as his mentor. So I look at him and I'm like, okay, like Monty's got a huge, strong link there. And is that the type of guy who could come in who's 33, who's never won a championship before, can come in here and play a really small role on a really, really good team and help them get that 5 to 10% better overall as a team with just the extra variety that he would provide in this team. The thing I like about Batum specifically, Kevin, is that he is wildly different than their other three wings. I think that Jay, McKell, and Cam all overlap in certain sections in a really, really good way. But I think that Batum is such like a different type of player who still does all the sun smart, play hard stuff that I, I really like him as an option. Again, if the Clippers are selling, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it where it's, you know, the money thing also there lines up really well where, man, I, I don't even know. You don't have to give up that much if they really just want to sell something and get like a second round pick. I don't know. But that's I think that's kind of the level. And that's, again, the Tory Craig level where it's you, you can't really conceptualize the value until they're in game three of a tough playoff series and they make a little lineup tweak they want to go small what have you or they want to match up a certain way against a certain guy who suddenly is killing you that you didn't expect so i think that's a good example of that where it's again covering all your bases um and and that's a realistic type of move i think yeah i'm glad you brought it up that way because something i mentioned i believe on the sam mike episode is that i i I might brought it up with you too in the last couple of months i know i brought it up at the time like when tory craig came into game six of the western conference finals played 25 plus minutes because someone had to figure out this paul george thing and he did um there was a million things that happened in that game and i don't know if tory was like this the primary reason why the suns won it was obviously chris paul but after that he was one of the main reasons why they won that game and we're talking about game six of the western conference finals so you talk about tying up loose ends. There are still loose ends left to tie up uh, to kind of go on Gordon a bit more and, and kind of uh, talk about on here what I wrote about on the site. I love the fact that there's past precedent here that he has great minutes with Chris Paul. And the reason why I love that is because when you look at the structure, Kevin, of the way that the Suns use their rotation and how Landry typically comes in for Booker, if Booker plays the whole first quarter, you bring in Eric Gordon off the bench to start the second quarter when Chris Paul comes back into the game. And these two guys have two years of experience together playing in in Houston. I went back and looked. That's the 2017-18 season for Chris, his first year in Houston. His best net rating of the seven players he played at least 500 minutes with when you're looking at their two-man net ratings was with Eric Gordon. They had 119.9 offensive rating, Kevin. That's really good. Over 775 minutes. Of course, 
That second year in Houston was not as good of a year for them. But even with that in mind, the net rating for those two while playing together was still uh, 11.8, which was, again, the highest among his, his teammates that he played with the most. So there's past precedent of those guys really playing at a high level together offensively, Kevin, specifically, which is, I think, is the big thing that Sam and Mike uh, hit on with me was that this team can like win a championship right now through defense, Kevin. But the thing that makes them so special is we believe they're versatile enough and good enough and everything where they can beat you. And if it's if, if it's going to be more of an offensive based game, they can do it. I think that they just ran out of juice offensively in the Milwaukee series. But I think Eric Gordon is the type of player who can provide you that extra juice and there's hesitancy with like his $20 million salary coming up in the next season. That is where I, Kevin, I'm just blunt and say, you're a luxury tax team. You're just going to have to pay the luxury tax. Anyway, it doesn't change the way that it's going to operate. It's just more money on the luxury tax bill for you upcoming. And if that fourth year becomes guaranteed on his salary, that's not guaranteed. It will become guaranteed because this team wins a championship. And if you want a championship at that point, you have to pay more money now because you want a championship and you have an older Eric Gordon on a, a bad contract on an expiring or whatever. I think that's fine because you want a championship, Kevin. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it just makes a whole lot of sense. And I mentioned the Monty Williams stuff in there, how they clashed in 2013, nine years ago. Monty has talked a ton about how his new Orleans time, was a point in his career where he would have done a lot of things differently. I think that Gordon probably grew a lot from that just as much as Monty did. Their relationship improved over the next two years. And I'm sure Monty would just love a second chance at coaching him again and like trying to win a title with him specifically in an element playing him with Chris where those two know each other so well already. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it depends where you're at over the tax and all that stuff because you will be at that point. And that is a significant amount of money, but yeah, to me, it's look, if you trade for him in any scenario, you're going to have to give up some salary to get it done. And like Jay Crowder, Dario contracts, like those type of deals where it's like 10 ish million, something around there. And I mean, even the Tyler Johnson contract, when the Suns got him from the heat, like there are going to be teams when those types of contracts are expiring, they're going to take them and and you worry about it down the road. And it's, it's not impossible to get off of like, again, Chris Paul deal. I know he was still a really good player, but not impossible to move even the largest of large contracts. So I, I'm not really concerned about the money other than like, how do you make it work? in as far as the rules of getting the trade done. But other than that, there's, there's nothing you should really be cheap about. But then again, this, this team doesn't have big histories of taking lots of lots of money on and kind of in the more recent term, kind of blowing up. Like, like if you acquire a guy like Aragorn or even Schroeder, like that's kind of, hurting campaign in Landry Shaman guys that you've committed to and said are part of this team. And I know all the stuff about like, they would probably be fine and Monty would handle it really well, but this team really hasn't done that to guys where they're just undercutting guys who have put in their time in the program, as Monty would say, and put in their time in getting to where the Suns are now. So that would be really interesting to me. I, I agree with you. And that was one of, there were a couple of moments where I was like, oh yeah, like we're like, there, there's still this singular goal in mind when Javon got traded, for example. And then to a lesser extent, like 
We talked about this a lot when they traded Ricky and Kelly. We did not know Chris Paul was going to come in here and be a first or second team All-NBA point guard again for two years in a row. We did not know that was guaranteed for sure, but we also were just like, you have a good thing going here, and these guys have put a lot into this program. And and I think we have enough past precedent for me to feel okay about that. But, Kevin, the way that I'll put it is, and what I talked about with – Max and David, do you remember my R one through nine podcast where we went through every roster in the league and I was like, who's better than them? I don't, I don't get it. I think it's, I think they're just the best. Um, if they have eight guys, Kevin or less, and we look at it, like they can only play eight guys. They can only play seven guys, even in the finals when it like gets really tight and like matchups and people get played off the floor. I don't think they can win a championship. That would require DeAndre or Mikel to take a huge step. That would require Chris and Devin to maintain their effectiveness and their legs and all that kind of stuff through four playoff series, which we saw wore them down both at the end of last year. Chris had a million things going on. Obviously, Devin had a hamstring thing come up at some point in the finals. But with that being said, I think you would just need some sort of Herculean effort from Chris and Devin, both plus improvement from the young guys in order to not need that one through nine there. So I think if they have eight guys or less, I think we will look back on this deadline as a really pivotal moment where they, I don't want to say screwed up because we can't talk like that until it happens, but we'll look at it as a real turning point in this entire, this Chris Paul era of the Suns, if you will. And we'll see, man. Again, like we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Kevin, when we talked about campaign Landry Shamit, these guys have a reason to trust their dudes, right? Like they have a reason to. Yeah, they know them super well. And yeah, that's, I think, what's interesting about James Jones's job now is like before he could say, I'm going to be patient. Um, I'm going to get Ricky Rubio. I'm going to be patient. Oh, I can get Chris Paul. But now that's not a thing like you can't wait on Mikel and DA to get it done because they are who they are this year. And it might be not a conversation to have next year. You can't, you know, wait on um, this team to develop more under money. Cause I think they're already there. So it's kind of, I guess, crunch time, if you will, as far as, all right, we're there. Um, is there a move to really take us over the top? And to me, Again, it's like you said, it's not really something you can judge at this moment. And it's probably not even a a thing you can judge, even if they go lose in the conference finals or semifinals. Right. Because you don't really know what trades are out there. Now, if there's like someone gives up a second round pick for a Tory Craig type player who ends up beating the Suns and the Suns needed that type of player or something. Yeah. Then that's something they should have talked about. But until that happens, I think it's just, hard to have that conversation of like, Oh, they, even when they were like tanking, we had these conversations as it was like, <laughs> yeah, you, you want to trade PJ Tucker and get draft picks, but you can't say they should get this for him because that the market's not there. Then yeah, it's a second round pick or whatever. So I, and I you're think, doing a favor for a player. Like that's what you're like. It's yeah. Right. So there's a lot of layers to that, but yeah, it's, it's kind of down to, you got to look for all the moves right now and make them if you can. I think that's all that I think I'm asking for. If I'm in a position to ask for anything, which I'm absolutely not, but to share what I would ask for, which is just due diligence, the extreme amount of due diligence to explore every single option 
And look, if they cross the trade deadline and we have no moves made, and that tells me that they believe in campaign Landry Shaman and the guy that we don't talk about enough on here, the Nader haters, Kevin, they persist. Oh, yeah. They persist. Look, Abdul Nader could be that 10th guy or that ninth guy or that eighth guy if certain things fly out. Like he could come in and like really impact this team. He was not healthy like all of last year, Kevin. So we, we never really saw him have a fully healthy go at the, at the year. Uh, and he's taking his time back. Like Frank and Dario could come back here and be in the mix still. Like, I, I don't know, but I think the, the, the one through nine thing is what my brain stuck on because Cam Johnson has proved like he is one of the best six men in the league. Um, by the way, like six man of the year, dark horse, like do we, we need to start talking about that, right? Like the fact that he's in there, I know he's started a couple of games already, but he needs to start be talking, start being talked about in that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. JaVale McGee has proved without a doubt he's one of the best backup centers in the league. And then that level of certainty just isn't there with Payne and Shamit. And again, like talking about a guy like Shamit, that could be just another wing. It doesn't have to be a guard necessarily, the guy that comes in for Booker. Um, they just need that eighth and ninth guy. I, I think they need it, Kevin, because they're in a position to get it. I think if they didn't have the salaries or they didn't have as many draft picks, this would be a different conversation, I think. But they have the tools in place to get some of these deals done. And it's why someone like David wrote on his newsletter and like outlined two trades. Like he had them get Kenrich Williams and Eric Gordon because it is feasible from our position to see how it could potentially get done with what they have available from them as in terms of an asset perspective. But again, um, we'll see. And they are the best team in the NBA right now. And they are the title favorites right now. And that doesn't go away if they pass the deadline and do nothing. Um, unless another contender makes a huge move. I don't really see my thoughts changing on that right now. Um, but I just think there's a, an opportunity to keep getting a leg up here for sure. And the right players are out there and like the right kind of fits are there for them. And they've got such a perfect ecosystem in place that they can afford to take in a player on a lesser role who would be, I, I would assume would be okay. And they would have those conversations beforehand with having the role. I think we covered it, everything. That's the bow on top, right, Kev? Yeah. And I'll say it also like, if I am James Jones and I am going to take the more risky move and make something to win now, um, you do have role players uh, that have enough trade value where maybe there is a bigger shakeup than we think would happen um, just because there are enough players where like even the guys who are struggling have value. So I think that's credit to them where, um, if, if they really want to get something done, they can kind of weigh doing something that might be drastic with trading a guy who's in the rotation in theory right now. We'll see. Yeah. And, and something um, Sam and Mike talked about, you know, like the classic like team throws three or four second rounders at someone just for the eighth man. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the type of like lesser move that I'm talking about where they have the draft picks at their disposal. People think about first round picks. When I say that, it's like, now they have all their seconds. Like they can just do the four second rounds thing. If anyone, <laughs> again, if anyone wants to do that, like you said, we don't know about the details uh, coming up. All right. Uh, this is what I will leave you with Kevin. I will ask you for a prediction because Max, David and I did the same exact thing, but I will phrase it to you a different way. Do you think we are doing an episode of this podcast, our next one is talking about a trade the Suns have done either before the deadline and like a breaking style or after the deadline is concluded and we're doing post-trade deadline talking about a trade. Do you think so? I think we're – I think we might be talking about a buyout or something and a, maybe a surprise like roster move to get a buyout, dude. But I am going to go no on the trade. That's where I was last week too. I, I think I'm there too. 
I, and I, again, I do not blame them at all for having faith in their guys and uh, yeah. looking around at their future flexibility going forward and valuing that as well. And the fact the buyout part does matter that they have half of that MLE left, which essentially turns into buyout money from what Gambo has reported. If I'm saying that right, which I might not be, but they basically have the top bid on the buyout market available to give someone. And Oh, by the way, they're the best team in the league. So that, that should help in terms of why people would want to come here too. I think, I think that could, I think that that is a good call. What I predicted Kevin last week was they're not going to do a trade and then they're going to get Goron on the, on the buyout market. That's what I predicted. Yeah. Something like that I could see happening. And I think, I think there's always like a lot of potential for like even like pretty good pickups happening in the bio market, just because teams that are just like done and they just hit eject on the season. Um, there, there's going to be stuff that shakes out that you don't see coming in names that aren't really on our radar right now. I think. There are too many teams in bad situations for this deadline not to get messy, right? Like a yeah. lot of stuff is going to happen in the next week. I think. I think this is going to be the busiest trade deadline that te- the league has seen in a while. Not in terms of like a humongous name moving, but like Philly is so sloppy. The Kings are tremendously sloppy. The Knicks are just like, just the slop yeah. is all over the place. The Wizards are now in their tailspin. There's a lot going on around the league in terms of not good situations. And that usually leads to blowups. And then Portland is now like definitively selling the Clippers. We mentioned are a wild card. I think that a lot is going to happen. We know Indiana is going to sell. The question is how much do they sell if at all right now, or do they wait till the summer? There are so many teams out there right now that have options to do. And then of course, Houston has their three or four or five guys where they got to figure out like, okay, we have all these young guys. Who are we going to keep around them? Are we going to keep Jay Sean Tate? Are we going to get something for him right now? Are we going to get something rare Gordon? Are we going to keep him right now? A uh, lot of different like options across the league, I think in a really interesting way where I just think it's going to be a really busy week. Uh, and, and we'll see if it is uh, for the Suns. They've got an interesting stretch here, Kevin. Uh, they host Brooklyn on Tuesday. But Brooklyn is without Kevin Durant. Uh, James Harden is questionable. I believe that is not due to being in vicinity of Old Town. Just to be clear, that is because of a hand issue. Uh, And then after that, we have got a four-game road trip. Uh, Atlanta, Washington, Chicago, and Philadelphia. Atlanta, uh, sort of a mess right now. And they could be another seller. Washington, mess we mentioned. Chicago, fighting for a one-seed. Philadelphia has the best basketball player on planet Earth right now in terms of current form. That is Joel Embiid, uh, Aiden versus Embiid part seven or whatever. Those are always fun, Kev. Oh yeah. They have that, uh, that narrative from the draft times. Oh yeah. That that's part of what you missed. Yeah. Like Embiid's averaging like 40 points a game in the last, he's scored 30 plus for like two straight months now. <laughs> he's, he's probably the MVP lead right now. It's crazy. Yeah. He's a madman. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoy your week of Suns basketball. You know, we will over here. We'll be back next week. See ya.